Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? So this week, the Prime Minister of Spain has said that he wants to make prostitution illegal in Spain. And he claims that he wants to do this to protect women and that prostitution enslaves them. So prostitution has been on my mind. So prostitution was decriminalized in Spain in 1995. And in 2016, the UN estimated that the country's sex industry was worth 3.7 billion euros. That's according to the BBC. And in 2009, there was a survey carried out that found that up to one in three Spanish men had actually paid for sex. So it's like a massive industry. Another report published in 2009 suggested that the figure may be as high as 39%. And in 2011, a UN study cited Spain as the third biggest centre for prostitution in the world, behind Thailand and Puerto Rico. That's quite interesting. At the moment, prostitution is actually unregulated in Spain. So there's no punishment for those who offer paid sexual services of their own will, as long as it doesn't take place in the public space. However, pimping or a kind of similar role is actually illegal. And it's estimated that around 300,000 women work as prostitutes in Spain. So this is kind of interesting because he's saying it enslaves women, but then if he criminalizes it, he's putting 300,000 women out of business and limiting their means of earning money for themselves. And also he's shutting down like a really big business and a service that I guess a lot of men want as well. He claims this is sort of a feminist stance. And within feminism, there are two schools of thought on that. There's this Andrea Dworkin, Gloria Steinem kind of take, which is that prostitution, along with pornography and sexual violence, are the most powerful sources of women's oppression. That's why they're against it and protest it. However, other feminists who call themselves sex positive, along with Amnesty and Human Rights Watch and a load of other groups like UNAIDS, the World Health Organization, the Global Commission for HIV, the Law and Open Society Foundations, although they acknowledge the violence of and the harms of the sex industry, they do say that changes in the law are a precondition to reducing that harm. So in 2015, a study by The Lancet predicted that decriminalization of sex work could have the largest effect on the course of the HIV epidemic. And also, if governments free themselves from prosecuting prostitutes and stuff, they can actually focus on problems like underage prostitution or trafficking and sex, like slavery and things like this. So yeah, there are two arguments to this entire thing. I always like to think of it kind of similar to the, I mean, obviously it's very different, but in the sense of when you talk about abortion, it's always like banning abortion doesn't mean abortion won't happen. It means it's going to happen in unsafe conditions. And that's how I kind of feel about prostitution, because regardless of whether or not it's legal, whether or not it's decriminalized, it's still going to happen. And so all you're doing is making the circumstances in which it happens unsafe. 
and making it illegal puts the blame on the wrong people and makes the women the victim. Decriminalizing it, which I believe is the Nordic model, right? The way that what Sweden does, I think, where it's decriminalized. So pimping and paying for sex is illegal, but not prostitution. And like, I understand the thought process behind that, but still at the same time, you're still limiting the business of these women. Yeah, in Germany, prostitution is legal and it's regulated. And I think that I was reading this paper in the Harvard Civil Rights Law Review the author is talking about how in the Netherlands, where sex work has been legal for almost 20 years, and bringing the industry out of the black market, and they've imposed strict rules. So, for example, brothels have to require and obtain and renew safety and hygiene license, and that they see, you know, it's become safer for women overall. Being a sex worker, you're not branded a criminal, so you have better access to legal systems, and if something bad happens, you can report bad behavior, so you minimize danger. It's harm reduction in the end. Harm reduction is the school of thought that humans are always going to engage in harmful behavior, so how do we make it as least harmful as possible? So some really basic examples of harm reductions are wearing a seatbelt or wearing a helmet, but also things like needle exchange programs are forms of harm reduction. She was saying in this paper that legalizing it not only, you know, has great tax benefits, but it also decreases the amount of sexually transmitted diseases and just overall makes the working conditions for the women safe. Yeah, I was reading this article in the New York Times from quite a few years ago, but there was this woman who worked as a prostitute in Los Angeles. And actually, she used it to pay her bills, obviously. She also used it to put the money towards college, which in the US, a lot of women do use this work because they can get paid more and they can put themselves through college with this kind of work. And then she said she got a boyfriend and because it was illegal, he started kind of acting as a pimp or taking money from her. Otherwise, he threatened because it was so taboo and it was illegal that he would report her, you know, to the police or all of her family and things like that. So what you're talking about is it's exactly that scenario where if it's illegal, it causes more harm to the women rather than if it's just out there in the open. And I think another thing, you know, when we think of prostitutes, I think a lot of people, when they think, they think about women standing out on the streets at night and just all these dangerous circumstances, which, of course, there are, and maybe we should think about moving women out of dangerous neighborhoods and regulating it so that they don't have to work in dangerous conditions. However, there is a broad spectrum of women who do go into or actively choose prostitution. And a lot of people in the US, for example, they do put themselves through college. One of my friends here in Berlin she put herself through college by stripping. And she said that you could tell in the strip club that there were two sort of types of girls, the girls who were literally putting themselves through college and then the girls who were doing it because they just had to do it because it was a job where they could earn money and it was a much better alternative to a minimum wage job. Those were the choices available to them. It's also very interesting that she said that when she was doing it, she felt very powerful. She thought the men were really stupid and that she had the power. And I mean, I guess she was right at the time. I don't know. I'm just reporting what she said. And then like afterwards, she realized that actually there was trauma associated with that experience of being objectified, which is really interesting. I'm reading this new book that's just caused quite a stir. It's just come out. It's called Whore of New York, A Confession by Liara Rue. And this is an interesting memoir because... 
Liara comes from a middle class family in New York, very religious background. She is very smart. You know, she knows how to program computers. She was top of her class, all of this sort of stuff, but she actively chose to be a prostitute. And this is how she describes her life. I'm at the beginning of the book, so this is like right at the beginning of the book. And obviously, it's one person's experience or one person's lines. Sometimes I feel guilty for how much I enjoy my work. I'm a first-class, pampered pet with a diet full of Michelin stars, flitting around the world in cashmere and silk, private jets, private cars. Of course, my life wasn't always like this. I don't think anyone who watched me grow up knew I'd one day be such a self-indulgent whore. But it's interesting because there's the other side to the women as well. It's the men that they serve. It's the service they provide. And she also says something very interesting about this. She says, My favourite part of my work, making my clients feel pleasure, feeling their tension, their desire, playing with it, directing it. And Virgine Dispenses, the author of King Kong Theory, she actually worked as a prostitute on and off for about two years. And she says something very similar. She talks about, and I quote here, the experience of seeing men in a very different light childlike, fragile, vulnerable, made them seem kinder, less intimidating, more endearing, and, most importantly, comprehensible. So what she's saying is, a lot of her experiences when she's working and providing the service is with, you know, men who need intimacy, who need, you know, physical touch, who are old or disabled or just simply don't have anyone in their lives. And it's a really important service. It's a moment of intimacy that's being kind of transacted there. Like not all of it is violent. I mean, also her take, like Liaru, they are a different class of people. They don't reflect all prostitutes' experiences they're from the western world they're pretty privileged and they're thinking about it in a certain way a lot of the complaints about like decriminalizing prostitution and all of that is that it doesn't take in the experiences of for example like black women or trans women who are more likely to get assaulted or arrested also like you were saying like if the police do arrest you as a prostitute they can assault you or rape you or If you're a prostitute and you get raped and it's illegal what you're doing, then how do you go and report that rape? But there is this aspect of providing a service, obviously, that I think a lot of people need and want. And the other thing that Virginia Dispensers does is she draws a clear parallel line between marriage and prostitution. And she talks about all these women in France, in Paris, who, without batting an eyelid, talk about how degrading prostitution is and that it should be banned and this is what she says it's hard not to think that what respectable women are actually saying when they express their concerns about whores is that deep down they're afraid of competition unfair competition because it's too effective and too straightforward if the prostitute could work in decent conditions like a beautician or a shrink If the legal pressures she currently faces were abolished, the role of married women suddenly becomes less attractive. Because if the prostitutional contract becomes commonplace, the marriage contract can be clearly seen for what it is, an indenture in which the woman signs up to perform a certain number of duties 
to ensure her husband's comfort at rock-bottom rates, notably sexual duties. So she's drawing this line between marriage, labour and prostitution. And it's also like this argument to say that, oh, women wouldn't do it if they weren't forced into it. And she, you know, she says if they were to practice their trade like a beautician, like, you know, legally, she goes into this. She says, well, as if a beautician doing bikini waxes at either of share smears on wax or plops blackheads because that is her artistic calling. Most people who have jobs would chuck them in if they could. But even so, in certain circles, you have people endlessly trotting out the idea that the problem is not moving prostitution away from the sketchy neighbourhoods where women are exposed to all kinds of aggression, the sort of conditions where selling bread would be considered an extreme sport, or establishing the sort of legal framework demanded by sex workers, but simply banning prostitution. This sort of is mirrored in this Harvard Civil Rights Law Review article because she says the underlying reason that people are uncomfortable listening to sex workers about legalizing prostitution has nothing to do with concerns for health and safety of women. If it were genuine concern, prostitution would be legal. The underlying reason people disagree with legalizing prostitution is that prostitution is viewed as amoral because it involves mostly women selling their bodies for financial gain. However, telling women what they can and cannot do with their bodies does not come from a place of morality. It comes from a place of control. People, especially women, sell their bodies for financial gain in legalized fashion on a daily basis. Pornography is legal, and so is exotic dancing, which, side note, why is it called exotic dancing? It is, to continue the quote, it is common for people to have sexual relationships with richer partners so as to benefit from their wealth, whether this is through seeking out wealthy life partners or through less formal but increasingly prevalent phenomenon known as sugar dating. It is also common for people to remain in unhappy relationships because they do not want to lose financial stability or spend money on divorce. So what's the difference? Why are these examples socially acceptable, even encouraged, but prostitution is seen as appalling? So, I mean, she goes on to say that the difference is that the women involved are not actually selling their bodies directly. But she's this interesting thing where she says about pornography. It is easier for us to pretend that we, like, that this is consensual and that we're all just, like, happen to be viewing in on this. Like, there's the voyeuristic aspect of it rather than a paid thing. Again, this I watched this really great documentary called A Whore's Glory, and there is absolutely no narration in it. And you just follow the three women in three different countries along on their day and it's set in Thailand where the women work in this like brothel and it's all very clean and regulated and then it goes to India where you follow this woman along on her day and then finally you're in Mexico it's just like a day in a life of these women and it's so sad especially in the Mexico part of the documentary because these women live in these like villages and they have these tiny rooms in which they receive their customers and in which they also live. And I just remember watching it. I just couldn't help but think it was like, it's already so hard in our world to be a woman. And whether you're decriminalizing or you're legalizing prostitution, at the end of the day, all you're doing is further imposing rules and regulation on women and their bodies rather than listening to them and genuinely trying to help them in the ways that they say they need help. Since you were saying about prostitution and exotic dancing, I mean, I would also say Instagram culture, advertising 
acting. I mean, all of those women who are A-list celebrity are making money off their bodies and the cultural sexualization of that. We all as women are doing it in some way or the other. Not all of us, but we are. All those glossy magazines. I don't know, that there's so much in our entire society. I think what she says in the King Kong theory is that it's just too honest. Mm. Like, it's too honest a transaction. It's like, this is my body as a woman. I'm selling it to you. This is an honest transaction. Whereas everything else is dressed up in something else. I remember somebody saying something about like the geishas were so dressed up. All these ceremonies, all of the arts and dances and all of that. In the end, they were prostitutes. It's just all super dressed up because you're not looking at it in a straight, honest fashion. And also, like, who isn't selling their body, really? I mean, look at miners, builders, or yoga teacher. There's this line in Peaky Blinders where I believe the character Grace says to Tommy, she says, I'm not a whore, Tommy. And he responds with, everyone's a whore, Grace. We all just sell different parts of ourselves. It's like, yeah, why is, you know, breaking your back for minimum wage that's fine, but selling your body isn't. And I mean, it should be acknowledged that human trafficking and sex slavery is a massive issue and a problem, but I feel like that needs to be tackled in a different way than prostitution does, because I think that they're two very different issues, and they're often lumped together. And I think that oftentimes the argument is made that if you legalize prostitution, you will also increase sex trafficking. That unfortunately happens. Part of the problem also is, is because who do we deem worth protecting? I mean, because I think that like the, in the DW article, it's talking about how the majority of the women who are trafficked are not Spanish women. And so there's this added layer of living in a unjust society where police authorities often don't give a shit about certain types of women. Mm, yes. But then couldn't they just go to the police? and say that they have been trafficked and they're not doing it voluntarily. Because that would be illegal if they're not doing it voluntarily. What's legal is that they're consenting. Yeah, I think that, again, this is where the issue of who is being trafficked comes into play, because I think that these women are oftentimes in the country illegally, so they're afraid to go to the police, because even if they're in harm's way, the authorities don't really care, right? A, if they're illegal, or B, because yeah. the police system we have is only interested in protecting certain types of people. And again, often, I think that regardless of whether or not it's legal or illegal, it's still so highly stigmatized that would you even get help as like a trafficked woman? Yeah, which is why it's weird, because I would think if it were legalized, then there would be clear lines of what is legal, what is not legal, and you could concentrate more on the sex trafficking, which is illegal, rather than having these kind of more blurred boundaries between everything being kind of somewhere in between, which it is, I guess, in Spain right now. And then also, if it were less taboo, you would have more women voluntarily doing it, and therefore, like a supply-demand thing, you know what I mean? Maybe sex trafficking, there wouldn't be as much demand for prostitutes because it's less taboo so more people are going into the industry, I don't know, like legally 
consensually. I mean, I think if anything, what you were saying about in the King Kong theory about the vulnerability and touch, I think if anything, prostitution reveals something ugly about our society, not in regards to prostitution, but just people are lonely, people are touch starved, people are need human interaction. I was reading an article in The Guardian this week about women incels, the women who are involuntarily celibate and the like men incels have really bad reputations because there have been quite a few incidents where they just go around and shoot people and you know they hate women and whereas women incels are kind of just sad and lonely according to this article but one of the women was saying I'm considering getting an escort because the dating thing is not working but I do want intimacy and to go out and not be so lonely and I would pay for that service. So I feel like men, male escorts, and the services that they could provide to women, that's completely left out of the conversation. Also about gay prostitutes servicing gay men. Uh, why are we always talking about women? Because I think at the end of the day, the conversation around prostitution has nothing to do with protecting women and more to do with controlling and regulating women, as most things do. The interesting thing is, in Spain, this policy was actually, like you mentioned, sort of sold as a, a feminist with a feminist stance, which there is a argument to, to say that's right. But what's interesting is from a political point of view, and of course this is politics and about gaining support and voters, he came up with this policy and this line when he needed more women voters. And this goes back to this idea of marriage being threatened by, first of all, the service, but also the honesty of the transaction and just the discomfort we feel about linking women, money and bodies in such a direct relation. Yeah, I think it's the directness of the act that makes people uncomfortable. Because I was watching, <laughs> along with reading all these nice books, I was actually watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Fascinating. You have to watch it on like 1.5 speed or 2 because it's just inane and pointless. But these women, they're in their 50s and they all look so blonde and, I mean, they're in really good shape. They wear a lot of makeup. And they are wives, really they are professional wives. I mean, all of them are also on their like third or fourth marriages and all these marriages, like they're professional wives, they just go from like one husband to the next and they, you know, they are housekeepers. Like Yolanda Hadid is a really immaculate housekeeper and she's all into romance and she's all talking about romance and then I googled it afterwards and she and her husband split up after that. But it seems prostitutional, this transaction, 100%. And when they see each other, they're like, oh, you look so good. And they're so, you know, concerned with their bodies and how they look. Like, it's completely body, man, power, money relations that's happening there. But now we've got a mainstream series about it. Everyone's buying into it. And nobody's like, hey, this is prostitution. And in a sense, I completely agree it is. And on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, when it comes to the debate, listen to sex workers, listen to what they want, and listen to their opinion. Number two, to further support sex workers, go to the European Sex Workers Rights Alliance. They have a bunch of things on their websites that will direct you into ways you can help. And thing three, try to be a little bit less judgmental. Educate yourself, read 
or of New York, read the King Kong Theory, and just read about things rather than jumping to conclusions. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.